Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G today. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson. I'm very pleased to be joined by three of my colleagues here at the firm to help analyze the process, the personnel, and the policy of the Biden transition. Apart from being three Democrats with whom I really enjoy working, they all held senior positions in the Obama-Biden administration and witnessed this process firsthand in 2008 and 2016. We are less than two months from Election Day 2020, but whether President Trump is reelected or not, Joe Biden's transition team is already preparing for a potential transfer of power. What may seem a case of cart before horse is actually the necessity of being prepared for the massive process of installing a new administration should the election go their way. That time frame is short between Election Day, November 3rd, and Inauguration Day, January 20th. And so this formalized government process begins now, and for which the Biden transition has just registered with the General Services Administration. It happens every four years by the major party nominees, whether the president is up for re-election or not. Orrin Aronson served in the Obama White House as policy director in the Office of Health Reform, and then went on to the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, where she spent three years as director of the CMS Office of Legislation. Nicole Stefano was a political appointee to the Environmental Protection Agency, where she served as Deputy Associate Administrator and then Associate Administrator at EPA's Office of Congressional and Intergovernmental Affairs under Administrator Gina McCarthy. And Steve Haro was nominated by President Obama and unanimously confirmed by the Senate in 2015 to serve as Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Legislative and Intergovernmental Affairs under Secretary Penny Pritzker. Lauren, Nicole, Steve, welcome to 14th and G. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having us. Lauren, you came on board the Obama administration actually before the election in 2008. So you were part of that transition. Transition teams traditionally ramp up following the party convention. So what are they doing now in the months leading up to the election? And what would their challenges be in the lead up to the inauguration if Biden is elected? What's happening now are two very distinct processes. We have one process being put in place to think about how the new Biden team wants to govern in a new administration. We have, that involves putting together policy proposals, looking at what the vice president has run on, looking at the Biden unity document, and thinking about what policies broadly, whether it be healthcare, tax, trade, the environment, or most importantly at the moment, dealing with the pandemic crisis and the economic uncertainty that we're facing. In addition to policy proposals, they are also looking at personnel and also looking at an agency review process. So what will structurally happen is that you will have various committees. You will have elements of policy people, and you will also have what's known as beachhead teams, which will be agency review teams that will walk in to every agency in the government as soon as the administration, as soon as the election is over, and you will start to review all of the processes and policies that are in place. This is standard. These beachhead teams arrive at the beginning of any new administration and also at the end as you prepare for a transition of power. So at this point, they're focusing on one, policy proposals, and then secondly, they're looking at all of the various agencies and the operational elements that will need to be changed as they focus on their new government structure. We saw recently the appointment of senior officials to begin to lead up the transition efforts. You're looking at folks like Senator, former Senator Ted Kaufman, Johannes Abraham. You have Jeff Science, who led OMB and NEC director. You have Cecilia Munoz, who was the Domestic Policy Council advisor to President Obama. 
you have a lot of very senior officials who both have extensive experience both in the government working for the Obama administration, but also extensive experience also in the public sector and private sector. So these are very senior career officials who understand how to govern and how to move us forward. Nicole, you came in to the Obama-Biden administration uh, towards the end of the first term, beginning of the second term. Uh, what was your experience like at EPA? You actually, Administrator McCarthy was in the, in the confirmation process. You saw that up close. Uh, what was that process like and, and how does that inform your view of what a potential Biden-Harris administration looks like? You know, the the process I think that folks are going to be looking at going forward is sort of, I think the nomination process actually looks a little bit different now because they've lowered the threshold um, in the Congress for political appointees. Um, and so when I was there, you know, we had a 60 vote threshold to get Gina McCarthy confirmed. And that process entailed, you know, meeting with every single senator in the United States Senate um, that wanted to meet with her. And so, you know, I think that folks will be looking at confirmation um, of these individuals and their sort of ability to get confirmed. But I think the threshold, because it's lower, may not may not require as much as much work with the Congress, though they will be wanting to meet with folks as much as possible. You know, I also think they'll be looking at who they want to bring in as their as their team members within each agency. Each administrator and or secretary will probably have the opportunity to bring in folks who, who they would like. And so the beachhead teams and transition teams will have a list of those. And um, some of the secretaries may get the opportunity to choose who they have to build out their team of the agency, but there'll be strong recommendations from the transition team as well. Those beachhead teams actually go into the agencies between election and inauguration if there's a change of administrations and then and then they vacate right yep they go into the administrations each agency will prepare uh detailed memorandums for them and and really large you can call them briefing books almost of sort of all the existing actions within each operation obviously my experience was at epa so each office within EPA, you think of the air office, you think of toxics office, each one of them would have sort of their list of pending rules, issues that need need resolution. You'll have pending criminal actions that potentially could be, you know, in litigation, non-criminal and civil at litigation. Uh, the other thing to think about too is the um, sort of the legal aspect of, of where a lot of the rules may be. A lot of the existing rules that have been finalized by the Trump administration, at least from an environmental perspective, are currently being litigated in courts. And so there will be a lot of lawyers involved in evaluating where things are, the process by which and how a new administration might go about either defending or not defending those rules, and considering you know, whether or not executive orders may be appropriate in, in, in response to some of, the, uh, some of where the rules are. And Steve, you came in towards the end of the second term of the Obama Biden administration as assistant secretary. So you saw this process, this transition process from the other end. Uh, What was your experience at Commerce? We worked directly with those beachhead teams, you know, from, you know, from the Trump campaign. They were, uh, they were introduced to us before the election because all all this, you know, people doesn't start the day after the election. It starts now, really. And so we were, we were meeting with them. Uh, we were directed by the White House to be as uh, transparent, ethical, upfront as, as possible, as thorough as possible. And so we were, we were meeting with them weekly, preparing, preparing them memos and, and 
and, and binders and just giving them a history of all we have done, org charts and everything. So that it was it was handed to them once we did know the outcome of the election, we were meeting with them multiple times a week in full force and giving them everything they needed to, you know, stand up an operation from day one. But I think it's also going back to the, the personnel stuff that Lauren and, and Nicole mentioned, it, it's worth noting we're going to be in a very unique time and let's all accept the fact that nothing ever happens as fast as we'd like it to, right? And so when thinking about personnel, uh, there's two types it, it, uh, when you're talking about administration. You have your Schedule Cs, which are your, your political appointments that do not require Senate confirmation. And then you have your what's referred to as PASs, the Presidential Appointment Appointed Senate Confirmed People. In a typical administration, the PASs are somewhere between 12 and 1300. There were 24 of us at, at the Department of Commerce. All of these require Senate confirmation. Given what has happened with the Senate confirmation process over the last few years, whatever the outcome, we're not going to see all these PASs from cabinet secretaries all the way down to, you know, small little assistant secretaries like I was. We're not going to see these, these positions move as fast as we would like. And that's where the quality of the candidates for the Schedule Cs who can start on January 20th on day one are so critical. And what and that's what the transition team is probably working on right now is, is bringing in those resumes and thinking about the people to fill those jobs because ironically, it is not going to be a cabinet secretary who in January and early February is gonna make major policy happen. It is gonna be really, really talented Schedule Cs who are starting at 12.01 p.m. on January 20th. And, and just to give some context, there's uh, roughly 4,000 political appointees within the administration. So that's a lot of positions to fill in what is a very short amount of time. So that's why you have seen them bring in such talented folks within the transition team to try to vet a significant number of folks and why, and why the beachhead team process is so important. To Steve's point, you know, they're given an organizational chart. They look at how the previous administration has set up each of their offices and they decide whether or not they're going to make changes from an organizational perspective if they can and what are the most important positions that they're going to fill. And so they're, they're looking at those organizational charts. They're relying on people who've been in the administration before to try to identify what are the key positions, who should we prioritize first, and, and how do we bring those people in. And oftentimes, you could see many of those people serve on the transition team. For example, someone like Lauren, who served on the transition team and then went into the White House and subsequently to CMS. So uh, keeping an eye on who's on the transition team, who's doing the policy reviews, doing the agency reviews as they continue to build out the team over the next couple of weeks will be important uh, to see who potentially could be um, leading the agency over the next couple of months. That's a great point, Nicole. When I think back to my experience in the transition team, I was on the health policy team. So we were working on developing policies for, at the time, it was actually ARA. It was thinking about, you know, healthcare reform. And then also we were already working on the budget. I mean, people forget the president's budget comes out pretty quickly. And so the minute we got there, we had to start working with the OMB team and the budget team to put together what the president's policy priorities were going to be in the budget. And that, that work starts immediately. We were doing a ton of stakeholder outreach, talking with members of Congress. And then the other side, to your point on the agency review teams, 
They were, you know, day one in the agencies looking at policies, looking at operations. But I also think what's interesting about the transition team last time versus this time is that the transition with the Bush administration was very smooth. The Bush administration, the Bush White House really was a critical partner and an incredible partner with the Obama team to make it as smooth as possible. Of course, we had multiple, you know, policy disagreements and we had you know, executive orders in place, and we had stop orders in place so that the moment, you know, the president took office on January 20th, you know, all rules and regulations were paused. That way we could really take our time to look at it. But they were substantive disagreements. They were not, I think, some of the challenges we may face with a, with a tr- transition in the coming weeks. There's some great con- uh, context there that Lauren just brought up that I think is worth discussing a little bit. You know, in, in 2008, during the transition, uh, you know, recall the economy was in tough shape. We were entering the Great Recession. We had the crash in October. And so there was this parallel work of staffing up the government and dealing with the policy of trying to fix the economy. Uh, aside from just your normal policy of a transition of you know, the first 100 days, we'll be, we'll be in a similar place like this now in, in November if Biden is to win. I mean, we probably, at least my personal opinion, is we're kind of writing the obituary on a COVID package, but we're still probably going to need something. And so... A, a potential Biden administration will be dealing with staffing up, dealing with a potential COVID package, dealing with other other policy proposals uh, for economic recovery. And as you know, as Nicole just said, we got over four thousand you know Schedule C appointments that they got to staff. You've got you know twelve hundred PAS positions they got to start thinking about. So it it is a lot in a short amount of time. Just one more point of that also is that during the Obama transition team, we actually had cabinet officials start to go through the Senate confirmation process prior to January 20th. So we had a number of officials who went through and started to do meetings with senators, were testifying before committees of jurisdiction. And so that process will start before January 20th if all goes well. And that's a good point, Lauren, is that the beachhead teams will um, be working with, you know, some of the career officials. I mean, we can't un- underestimate the, the value of the career officials who are at the agencies. They will be also working directly with the, the beachhead teams in developing policy and working with some of these potential Senate uh, candidates or, you know, folks who are to be confirmed. I mean, they will be preparing them on, you know, issues that may come before them during Senate confirmation just to familiarize them in, in, in generalities with where things are. So, you know, that, that process will be ongoing as well. And a lot of it, like I said, will be, be taken care of with some, a lot of help from existing career officials. So not only in this, you know, we're 60 days out or, and, or less from the election. So not only are they going through resumes and vetting potential candidates for these thousands of positions, but they're also figuring out policies. And you can imagine the list of policy priorities for uh, Biden-Harris administration will be lengthy, uh, a lot to choose from, and that means a lot of competition for focus. And as you referenced, Steve, in the setting of a global pandemic and again, economic uncertainty, where should he and where will he focus his administration in the first 100 days? As the healthcare person, uh, I'll start. I mean, obviously, I think the pandemic itself is, is a critical place where, you know, the Biden-Harris team will have to start. But I think that the, the response to the pandemic is, one, going to have to be built on rebuilding our public health infrastructure, which is why it was interesting to see, you know, the former U.S. Surgeon General, Vivek Murthy, 
who not only spoke at the convention, is very prominent um, advisor to Vice President Biden, but is also now playing a role in the transition team. So I think that the COVID response from a public health perspective will be, will be incredibly front and center. But then I think part of that threat also is the economic response. We're dealing with issues around the economy. We're dealing with issues with health inequity. We're dealing with issues with racial disparities, with policing reform. So all of these issues will ultimately, I think, come together. But I think what's going to lead the initial response is going to be a response to the pandemic itself. You know, not, not for nothing, but, but on that, economic recovery and hardening healthcare infrastructure are not binary choices. They're actually okay. one of, you know, when you, think about, when you think about our economy, one of every six dollars is spent on healthcare. When you think about what exacerbated the recession in pandemic was lack of folks going in and getting treatments and, and, and using our healthcare system, there is, there's an opportunity here that I think will be part of the policies that come out of a potential Biden administration where you use pandemic re response, COVID response as an economic recovery driver. And I, I think that will be one of the first things you see come out, come out of the gate. And I would just add to that, I don't think it's, it's also limited to sort of the healthcare space. I think from an economic recovery perspective, you know, you're going to see not only just healthcare and, and general economic policies together, but you are going to see this idea of, uh, of sort of a build back better theme among sort of a, a broader infrastructure bill. We're not just talking about roads and bridges, but we're also talking about broadband. We've seen what the lack of broadband, especially in our rural areas, have done to kids who aren't going to school. That will be a priority as well. So I, I think you're going to see sort of a broader economic package that is infrastructure focused in, um, and, 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 and may, you know, include a lot of the provisions and some of the things we saw in the Democratic Heroes Act and, and um, some of the other Democratic priorities we've already seen. Go ahead, Steve. And I, I actually do, Dean, see, you know, not, not just the, the, the pandemic response, economic recovery bucket, build back better bucket, uh, that's been articulated, but I, I actually do see a social bucket uh, as well yes. being dealt with, with regard to uh, uh, racial justice, criminal justice reform, immigration. Uh, yes, it, it, we're talking about a lot. We're talking about, you know, trying to juggle and prioritize, but that's where we are and that's what we're going to have to do. Uh, so I, I do see those in the first, you know, I, I hate using the, the term 100 days because I, I, I think it's a tired phrase and a tired metric. But, you know, coming out of the gate, everything that's been articulated, plus the, the, the social reforms that we have been discussing for, you know, for, for immigration now, you know, two, three decades, and then, you know, for racial justice even longer, I, I do think those will be tackled early on. It sounds like, I mean, when the Obama administration started, Lauren, I think you were there when the decision was made to spend a lot of upfront capital on one large project, that being the Affordable Care Act. It sounds like the Biden administration focus, maybe by necessity, is just going to be more diffuse and we're not going to necessarily see a giant piece of landmark legislation in any single sector that's going to dominate the first year or so of the administration. Do you guys think that's right? I mean, I wouldn't underestimate the vice president. I mean, he, at his core, is a legislator. I mean, if you think about how he approaches these things, he's coming into it from a much different perspective than President Obama did. And so I think the fact because he was a legislator, he's going to want to work with the Congress on his key policy priorities. Um, I agree that healthcare is probably going to play a different role than it did for the Obama team, but I think that the response to the pandemic is playing such a critical role in the 
way he's articulating the reason why people should vote for him for president, that is healthcare is going to have to be front and center. But we're also in a different place than we were 10 years ago when we passed the Affordable Care Act. So there are things we, of course, need to fix and enhance, and we still have multiple states that haven't expanded Medicaid, and we have affordability issues. But I would argue from a coverage perspective, we don't have the same crisis we did 10 years ago. The crisis we're facing now is a public health infrastructure crisis, which is something he will work with Congress on. You guys have seen both President Obama and Vice President Biden up close and personal, both heading up the executive branch, and they're both served time in the United States Senate. What are your perceptions of stylistically, both in terms of how they lead and what drives them ideologically? Any, uh, any reflections there on what we might expect in, in terms of uh, differing styles of governance from, uh, from President Obama? I, I think what you're going to see in a President Biden is at least initially more outreach to Congress than than was seen by by President Obama initially, and that that is that's rooted in just Joe Biden's decades of serving in the Senate and, and respect for the institution. Now, call me skeptical, but it, it 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 is tougher now for the two the two branches of government to to work, uh, you know, hand in hand as as they once did. It's always been difficult, but it's gotten exacerbated. Let's say over the last. And so I think you'll see initial efforts, but I'm not quite sure how successful those efforts will be. And that, that of course, will depend on, you know, what the congressional elections, you know, turn out to be and whatnot. But at least initially, I think you'll see a President Biden make more of a foray into Congress than you saw in, in 2009 with President Obama. Not that, I, not that I'm saying President Obama didn't. You're just going to see a higher degree of effort on that. I think just to put a finer point on what Steve is saying, I think you're going to see outreach to both sides, not just sort of Democrats, you know, that are either in control or in the minority. I think he will do his best when there are challenges um, that he knows and issues of which there is significant Republican opposition. He will at least try to sort of find a compromise there. Now, to Steve's point, we don't know whether or not then, you know, we could, you know, there is compromise to be found, but he will at least try. I think that's right. Vice President Biden gets a lot of criticism because of this, but, you know, his willingness to do that outreach and his willingness to compromise is what makes him and has made him so effective. And so I think that, you know, there are obviously a lot in the Democratic Party who don't want to see compromise or think that compromise is, they shouldn't have to at this particular point. But I think that the the vice president will find a way to navigate that in a way that tries to move us forward on a lot of these big economic and, and healthcare policies and infrastructure policies that we absolutely need and have to have. And on, on Nicole's point, I mean, I think it was a very important note when the Biden and Sanders team put out a unity document walking through various policies where the two elements of the party, the more progressives and more moderates, really came together. And we're also seeing that play out in the transition team where you have not only former Obama and Biden uh, you know, administration officials, but you also have key officials who represent the progressive wing of the party who are playing a role here. You have, you know, Mayor Pete, who is on the transition team. You have staff for Senator Warren and staff for Congresswoman Jayapal, who's the head of Congressional Progressive Caucus in the House. So, you know, I give the Biden team a lot of credit of trying to maintain the bigger tent and bring the progressives in with them as they figure out how they're going to govern. Which is also a stylistic difference between, I think, Joe Biden and, and Barack Obama. And I'm not, I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I, I would say President Obama had a, a smaller cadre of folks around him advising him. That those folks went out and got all, all the information they needed to make informed 
counsel to the president, but he, he kept he kept small counsel. And I think Biden has will widen that aperture a little bit and and seek consensus amongst more folks before making a decision. Not that that's indecisive. It's just he's going to seek out more more uh, more opinions before you know hitting the green light on something. Well, it wouldn't be any fun without engaging in some potential administration speculation. White House Chief of Staff, State Defense, Treasury, your agencies, HHS, Commerce, EPA. Who's in line for these top jobs? Uh, Secretary Aronson, Secretary Harrow, <laughs> Administrator DiStefano. Funny, very funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of us want to go through the Senate confirmation process. Although, you know, Steve did pass the Senate by unanimous consent. But I mean, I'll start. I think, you know, White House Chief of Staff, in my mind, is someone like a Steve Rochetti. You know, I've known Steve for 20 years. He's an operator. He's close to uh, you know, the vice president. He is the chairman of the campaign. You know, he ran the DSCC for a long time. He, he knows what he's doing. He worked the, in Obama White House for, for Vice President Biden. So my money is on Steve Shetty to be chief of staff. For HS secretary, it's a great question. I think I could see someone like Vivek Murthy playing the role of the former U.S. Surgeon General, given everything that we are facing from a public health perspective. Obviously has considerable experience. I could also see someone like a Ron Klain, who's also been with the vice president for, you know, 20 plus years, played a very big role in the response to H1N1 and the Ebola crisis. So I think there are a variety of folks who, who could who could fill that those shoes pretty, you know, very effectively. You know, I'll talk about the things that I know a little bit more about, which is sort of the, the Environmental Protection Agency. And, and, you know, there's been quite a few names floated. I, you know, I do think in the past, it, you know, has, has the last two have been women. The agency has been has been governed by quite a few women in the past. You know, names like Mary Nichols and Heather Zeigel have been floated out there as, as two names. One other interesting individual that I think, you know, would be an interesting pick is, is Michael Regan, who is currently the North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality head. He has a long time background at, at both EPA and in the climate space and climate is obviously going to be prioritized. Um, you know, he's also an African-American man, um, which I think you're going to try, you're going to see in a lot of positions and a lot of heads of agencies, the, the Biden administration is definitely going to try to diversify. And I'll just, Dean, my, my crystal ball, I, I thought about this. I've got quite the list. Uh, I, I will also concede, though, that my crystal ball is both what I personally would like to see, but these folks are also eminently qualified and have been discussed. I wholeheartedly agree with Lauren about Steve Rochetti uh, as White House Chief of Staff. I think looking down the line, you know, at defense, you got Michelle Flournoy, uh, who is exceptionally talented and, and should be our Secretary of Defense. At state, you got Susan Rice, who also is just eminently qualified and would make a great Secretary of State and a great ambassador to the world for us. I like I like the Vivek Murthy pick for HHS. Uh, you also have Michelle Lujan Grisham, Governor of New Mexico, who's been discussed as that. And also a member of the transition team, former House member on Energy and Commerce. No, great, great observation, Steve. Yeah, Attorney General. I, I believe the nod should go to Javier Becerra. Our Absolutely. General, my <laughs> former boss. And then sticking with my, my former bosses, I would love to see Penny Pritzker come back and serve in the administration, perhaps maybe as director of OMB. And then I would love to see my, my other former boss, uh, Martin Heinrich, be, be called up uh, to serve as uh, Secretary of the Interior. So again, yes, I'm letting personal relationships and, and thoughts get in the way, but all of these folks are eminently qualified. Uh, they represent the diverse uh, geographic, ethnic, racial spread across our country. They look like our country and they would be ready 
uh, to go on day one. The learning curves for them would be minimal. One other thing also I've noticed that there are a ton of former Obama-Biden officials who have now served in state roles. To Steve's point earlier, you have a lot of senior staff who've gone on to serve as you know, the Secretary of Energy in various states, like the, the individual that Nicole mentioned from North Carolina. You have, on the health perspective, you have the same as well. You have Dr. Mandy Cohen, who was you know, at CMS, at HHS, who's now the Secretary of Health in North Carolina. I could see her playing a very prominent role. So you have a lot of officials who were in the Obama-Biden administration who are now playing significant roles at the state level, which just provides them such an additional level of experience that can help them be that much more effective when, when if and when the Biden team does have the opportunity to take office. Well, guys, we'll consider the drapes measured. Uh, oh, no, no, no. After 2016, <laughs> we absolutely, absolutely do not measure any drapes at all. At all. As Lauren said, if. if. I said if. Said no. if. Uh, that was tremendous insight into, uh, into what's going on. Every uh, potential administration requires an enormous amount of planning uh, even before the election actually happens. So uh, you guys have seen it from the inside once uh, and uh, really appreciate your insight today. Lauren Aronson, <laughs> Nicole DeStefano, Steve Haro, thanks for joining me on 14th and G. Thanks, Dean. Wonderful to be with you.